Hello, you're listening to a message from Lifeway Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, please visit www.lifeway.church. All right, praise the Lord. So love like Jesus, amen? Everybody say love like Jesus. And it's so good. Let's stand up just for a moment. Let's have a word of prayer and we're going to get right into the word and uh, looking forward to sharing with you this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be here this morning in this wonderful ministry, Lord, this, that you've established, you've called to impact this region and this area, Lord. I thank you for the love. You can just feel the love of God in this place and just the, the welcoming, the, the spirit of God is here. The lamp of God is here, and we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to worship together. As we open up the word, we thank you for revelation, impartation, manifestations of your Holy Spirit, demonstrations of the Holy Spirit, revelations, Lord, to come forth and to be established today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So praise God. So we've been talking about this subject. Pastor's been uh, teaching on this subject. I've had a chance to listen to all the messages And I've enjoyed every single one of them. Praise God. God has really blessed you with a wonderful ministry gift. Amen? Amen. Now, today I'm going to be talking about love like Jesus, the subject of unity. And there are three things that I want to accomplish uh, this morning. And and it's really, we're going to be hitting some issues about racism and and race and reconciliation. And the, the way God has established us is his people to walk in love like our brother. That was really good this morning. Uh, to walk in love and, and to operate in unconditional love. And there's three things that I want to cover this morning. I think you have, I don't know if you got the notes out already. But number one, and this is not in the notes, divine, I want to help, help you with a divine perspective uh, of, of racial issues. You know, we can look at things from the natural or we can look at things from the supernatural. We can, we can look at things from our own human perspective and our human experiences, and that creates a lot of different things. You know, as you, as you study history and, and you look at things that are happening, it, it can affect you many, many different ways, whether you're white, black, red, or yellow. It, it affects you. But, but we have, as Christians, the ability to look at things with a divine perspective. Amen. And so I want to, I, I, this is one of the things that I want to help you to see this morning. Because, you know, as a, as a black man of 60 years old and, and, and living through the whole issues of race and racism and, and things that I've had to deal with myself, uh, God has brought me through a journey. And, and I see things from a different perspective today because of Jesus. Amen. Uh, and, and so we can see things differently. And God uses me in a, different, a lot of different arenas to encourage, just like in the case of the Christian Businessmen's Connection, uh, here in Atlanta, you know, our ministry is a marketplace ministry, and, and our city is the only city that has a multiracial, multinational ministry going on. I mean, when you come to our events, it looks like the United Nations, and, 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 and people are, are curious, and people in our organization, in fact, the board had me come to talk about how are you doing this, you know, because we want, we want to see this happen. Uh, throughout throughout our, our ministry. We're in 98 countries, 330 cities, and we want to see this happen. And, you know, we can see it happening with you. So I've, I've lived this out and walked this out, and, and having a divine perspective is very, very important. Number two, courage and hope for believers um, to, to 
and our ability to transform the marketplace. So when you see a lot of things going on, it can, you can lose hope. And, 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 it can, and, and even in the area, if you want to address issues or deal with issues, courage, you know, having the courage to address issues head on. Uh, and, and so we can, as believers, we are called to the ministry of reconciliation. Amen? And, and therefore, we have in us the power to reconcile things. We have the anointing, the grace on our lives to be able to do that. And even when we see things that are happening around us, we have the ability to lift people to another level. And I run into all kinds of people all the time. I'll never forget uh, my, uh, my pastor, Tim Mann. He's been my pastor probably for about 35 years. And uh, he's why he was coming. I was invited. When I, was pa- I pastored for 25 years. And when, I, when he came in, I would bring him in. And, of course, we would spend time together, put him in hotels and take care of his needs. And we'd go, you know, have meetings and so forth. And I'll never forget, he was sitting in, in the restaurant one day, and he just started crying. I'm like, what are you crying for? He says, I, you know, I'm just tired. I'm tired of this. I'm like, tired of what? He said, pay my plane fare. I'm your guest. I'm coming to all the meetings. We're going out to restaurants. You're, you're taking care of me. And every single time we walk into these restaurants, they assume that I'm the person who, who's uh, bringing people in, bringing you in. And I'm just tired. He said, how do you deal with this? I said, Tim, I don't. I'm a new creation in Christ. And it doesn't matter what people think or what they don't think. I'm operating on a higher level, far above all principality, might and dominion in every name that's named. And I don't see things that way. Now, it used to, those kind of things did affect me, but I've gone through a transformation process. And, and so we have the ability uh, to, to, and we can have hope and courage that we really have the answer. We're salt and light. Say, I'm salt and light. So we have within us the ability to transform the market. And I want you to think, the marketplace is our target. Because people spend 50% of their time at their jobs. 79% of, of, of Americans are not going to church. 95% of millennials are not going to church. Some of them never will go to church unless we take the church to them. And we have the ability to take the message of Jesus to the space. Oh, I call it your Jerusalem. Jesus said in Acts 1 and 8 that, uh, that we're to preach the gospel first in Jerusalem. So your Jerusalem is the space in which God has called you to make an impact. And, and you can carry the kingdom of God into your Jerusalem. And we have that ability today. Praise God. And the third thing I want to accomplish today is I want to equip, I want to equip the saints for the work of the ministry of reconciliation. I'm going to give you some things that will encourage you and that will challenge you. Praise God. So we're going to start with this verse of Scripture. And what I would like us to do is I'd like us to read this together. Uh, yeah, that's right. Praise the Lord. So let's, let's read that. And this is, of course, the, the prayer of Jesus. You know, he, he prayed this uh, high priestly prayer. He's the apostle and high priest of our confession, is he not? And, 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 and at this point, at the very end of his ministry, he had shifted into this high priestly ministry. And uh, he, was, he was the one that was taking these needs to, to the Father, and he was praying this prayer. This is a precious prayer, and this is not the whole chapter. I would encourage you to read the whole chapter. But let's begin together, verse 20. 
I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their words. That's us, isn't it? That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be, be one in us, so that the world may believe that they, you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am and see my glory that they have given me. And because you love me before the foundations of the world, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Praise God. Isn't that a, isn't that a wonderful prayer? And you know, when Jesus prays, prays a prayer, we better pay attention, right? And so the, the first thing I want to talk about, in order to have unity, we have to first have a desire for unity. So in your notes here, a desire for unity. Uh, number two, getting used to this here. Let's see, what number are we on? Okay, yeah, okay, there we go. Did I get all these right? No, I'm kind of moving through it. Okay, desire for unity. Yeah, commitment to unity. Uh, the cost of unity, we're going to talk about that, and we'll be talking also about the reward of unity. The reward of unity. Amen? Amen. The first thing I want to look at this word love is, is, is this word actually pronounced agapeo, which is the root of agape. But it means and when we talk about because you can't have unity apart from love. And that's what we're talking about here, the love of God. Pastor's been sharing about that all, all month here. Is to have a strong non-sexual affection and of love for a person and they're good as understanding by God's moral character. So love a person to see good come in that person's life for their good, see? Especially characterized by a willingness to forfeit rights or privileges in another person's behalf. So basically I'm willing to make sacrifices in order to minister to the needs of another person. Amen? And so that's that love that's in all of us and we have that capacity. And I want to talk to you just about my story. I was in, I went to Ramah in 1983 in South Oklahoma and uh, enjoyed wonderful time, wonderful experience there. And I'll never forget, right after class, I would go into a little room and I had to go to work at the time. I, w I worked in the computer field and I had to go to work at one o'clock. So class would let out at 12 and I had time to pray. So I would seek the Lord during that time. And I'll never forget, one time I was really seeking, I was 25 years old. I was seeking the Lord, and I was saying, Lord, I want to, I want to be able to finish strong. I want to be able to grow old and, and still love you, still serving you. I don't want to be a firecracker preacher, you know, whatever happened to Brother Posey. I want to be able to finish. And, and I said, what's the, what's the secret? How do I finish strong? Of course, I thought the Lord was going to say something like, go to Jerusalem, you know, the Mount of Olives, and I'll, I'll appear to you. But the Lord said, master the love walk. And he said, let the love of God not pursue the fame, fortune, or, or name, 
Let the love of God be the major pursuit of your life. And start by loving your wife, Sandra. Amen? And, and, and that, that was a tremendous counsel because being in ministry now, what, 45 years, uh, preaching the gospel, there's been many opportunities not to walk in love. There's been many times of, of hurt and difficulty and betrayal and just a host of things uh, of all kinds and shapes and colors. And I know in the area of race, I'll never forget a church our pastor was, we had, uh, you know, all kinds of members come. We had white members come. And I'll never forget uh, this one man, I was discipling him and pouring into him. And, and he said, you know, and he told me, I never, this had gone on for about six months. And uh, he said, you know, I've learned things from you that I've never learned from anybody. I mean, you've taught me, you've trained me, and the love that I've received in this, in this ministry, but I just can't deal with you being black. And he said, and there's no way I'm going to bring my friends here. And, 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 and he left the church. And that really hurt me. And because I came from a church in Tulsa, my church that I went to in Tulsa was a man by the name of Buddy Harrison. He was Kenneth Hagin's son-in-law. And I was a part of the ministry there. And uh, Buddy had a church of about 2,500 members. And it was now in, in Tulsa. Tulsa was a very racial, very racial uh, city. In fact, they had the worst racial riot in Tulsa in the history of America, 1921. And there were... Uh, it's called, they call it Black Wall Street. It's a lot of very powerful, very educated, very rich uh, black, black men and families and businesses and churches. The, the dollar traveled 98 times before it left the community. It was amazing and what the Lord was doing there. And it was completely burned to the ground. And I mean, drums, bombs dropped on it by the, by the government. It was horrible. And when I went to Tulsa, literally all the black people were all in North Tulsa. And the white people in South Tulsa. So going to Raymond, I was trying to find where the black folks were because Raymond was in East Tulsa. And I was driving. I couldn't find a black person anywhere back in those times. I saw this one black guy walking down the street. I stopped. Hey, where the black people at? He said, you got to go north. <laughs> so I went to North Tulsa. And that's how I ended up becoming a part of uh, Faith Christian Fellowship. But what had happened, Buddy's church, God spoke to him about this issue of racism. And, and Buddy began to champion that cause and wanting to see the love of God poured out and operate and, and, and black people began to come to his church and then he moved his entire church to North Tulsa. And I'm not talking about just across the track. I'm talking about deep into the black neighborhood. And in one Sunday, he lost 1,500 members just like that. And one Sunday, and, and of course that church, it went down to about, mentioned about 150 or so. But he suffered quite a bit actually. But it was the right thing to do because I was a part of that. I saw that and it impacted me in a way. And, and it made me, because I came out of the African, the Methodist Episcopal Zion Church. Now, the Methodists had, had started their church many years ago. But in the 1800s, as black people were engaging in the Methodist church, they were treated unfairly. And the pastors, they wouldn't allow the pastors to, to lead their own churches unless they had a white pastor over there. And the black people were uh, receiving communion at the very end and sat in the back and that kind of thing. So they ended up establishing the African American Episcopal Zion Church. And I was a part of that. And I grew up in the black church, black neighborhood, you know, black life, you know, black schools. I mean, I, that's how I grew up. And so that's all I was accustomed to. So when I came to Tulsa and began to get involved, 
This church was 50 for 50, 50, 50. It was black, 50 white, 50 black. It was an amazing experience. I've never been in that experience before. And it changed me as a person. And that was the process that God was working with me to begin to change how I saw life and how I see people and how I look at the world. Amen? And so I thank Buddy Harrison for that. But that's, but that's part of my story. And as I learned how to walk in love, and in that situation when a man <laughs> said that to me, it really, really hurt me. I mean, it was, it was like a deep wound. And for a moment, because when I came to Atlanta, I really wanted to see black people and white people come together. And, and, and that's what I was building. But that hurt me so bad. And I, and I just said, you know what? I, I'm still for, I still love everybody, but I'm not going to be, and watch this now, I'm not going to be intentional about that anymore. I said that in my heart. And Jermaine Copeland, who I think she's still alive, she's alive today, she wrote a book called President of El March, and she was a friend of mine, and we brought her to the church. And God used her to heal my heart because I didn't, I didn't realize, you know, how many know you can have something going on in your heart you don't even know? And I didn't know, even though I said that, I didn't, want, I didn't say it out loud, but in here I said, I'm never going to try to bring black and white people together. I'm done with that. Because I've been hurt, and that wasn't the only, it was other issues, but I've been hurt too many times by white people that I've been trying to love on. And I'm just not going to do it anymore. But God used you, and I just wept like a baby. God just healed my heart, and I made a commitment to begin to walk that path again. Amen. And I thank God I did. So that's part of my story uh, that I, I've lived. It's a very personal story, very personal to me. So, but I want to make some observations about this particular text here. And if you'll take a look at it, there's some words here that, that are very, it's very good here. First of all, notice the word one, how that's used in, in the red here. May all be one, may be one, we are one, perfectly one. How many can see that Jesus wants us to be one? The other word here is the word father. It's is pointed out here that God is our father, which means we're a family. And we have the same father. Amen? And, and because of that, we can embrace one another. We can accept one another. The other word here is the word world is used here. Where Jesus talks about that the world will know and the world will see and the world will believe. Uh, God is concerned about the world. God wants us, listen, God doesn't want us to be shaped by the world and have the culture of the world shaping the church. God wants us to challenge the culture. And we have the ability to do that. We have that grace, that power on our lives, and we can, we can change that. The other word here is have given. Have given, have given. You've given me. So God gave Jesus something. Jesus has given us, and as Christians, we have something to give. Peter says, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. Each one of you here today, you have something to give. And wherever God has called you, the space that he's called you in the market, the space he's called in your community, the space he's called you, wherever it is that you go, wherever you go, you have something to give, and you need to be aware of that, that you can give something. Also, the word here, perfectly, perfectly one. And that word, that, and I, I don't talk about word studies, but, but I did study these words out. But that word in particular talks about this effort to commit to unity. It takes energy to do that. You know, I've been married for 40 years. 
And we've had to work through so that we can become one flesh. There are issues that come up in marriage. And you have to work through those issues. You know, I always tell the story when uh, I was just first married, Sandra and I were, we used to have what I call anointed discussions every day. <laughs> Especially to and from church, you know. We go to church, we get into some little thing, and when we come, we, we, you know, we're carrying on. And we get in the church, we're praising the Lord, worshiping him, and we get back in the car and pick up where we left off. Amen? Anybody ever experienced that? Oh, okay, all right, okay. All right. So being a young fella, I, you know, I was pretty young, and uh, I figured what the problem was is that she just wasn't obedient to me. I'm just saying, I was 20 years old. I wasn't too smart. All right? So I never forget, you know, because we're having issues. And you've got to deal with issues. You, you can't pretend they don't exist. You can't walk around them. You can't work around them. Because if you don't deal with issues, issues will deal with you. So this is my solution, Pastor. So I, I brought in the Bible, and I held the Bible up, and I said these words, woman. Now, you know, that's not the way you start. Woman, the Bible said. Remember, I was 20 now. Remember, I was 20. I'm the preacher and all. I'm, I'm the spiritual mature one. I figured she, she received Christ to my, my ministry, so I figured she listened to me. So I said, woman, the Bible says that you need to submit to me and obey me. And we wouldn't have all these problems if you would obey the word. And Pastor Sheila, I thought that that would work. I really did. I, had, I was convinced that she was just going to, yes, whatever you like, whatever you like. Sandra took that Bible. She snatched the Bible out of my hand. And she hit me with a pow right upside my head. That's what I think about your Bible. I mean, no, that's not the way to handle it. I didn't see it working out that way. I thought it was going to really work. So that's not quite how to deal with issues. You don't deal with issues by blaming the other person. Amen. And we don't deal with racial issues by blaming other, other races, other people. We have a place, there's a place, there's a way in which we do things. So he, he does want us to be perfectly one. The other word here is loved. Love, you love, because of love. That's what's going to win the world. When they see how we love one another, all the division and divisiveness, and what a pastor was talking about some of this in his message. And then what about, what is this political stuff going on? I mean, Christians are fighting each other. And we're all in the same family. And because you're a Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, or whatever, if you voted for this person, that person, you, I don't want that. We're God's people, and the world is looking at this. This is buffoonery. And, and we have to change. We can't operate that way. And that doesn't mean we don't have our own beliefs. And, but there's a time and a place in understanding how those things are done. Would you not agree? So... You know, when we look at this here, what we see here is the fact that Jesus, his prayer outlines the impact the church is to have on the world or the unconvinced. And that's what we're, we're dealing with. He's concerned about the world. Jesus, listen, when, when, when Pilate was telling him, listen, don't you know I can crucify you? Listen, my kingdom's not of this world. Basically, dude, I don't care anything about you, what you're doing. If I really wanted to do something, I could, I mean, you'd be all wiped out, Okay. 
But the issue is not you, it's about my kingdom. And so, so too often we put too much emphasis on temporal things when we really need to be concerned about that. So this term spiritual awareness, we, we have in our, in our ministry, we have what we call the spiritual awareness chart. And I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but the point I want to make here is the fact that, that when we talk about spiritual awareness, um, you need to know where people are in their spiritual journey, and you need to know what to do to minister to them. And that's why we have to be sensitive to people versus looking at them and their skin and their politics and their whatever. We need to be concerned about their souls. Amen? I said we need to be concerned about their souls. And in fact, this just points out that the fact that we that conviction comes from the Lord, not us. We're not the one convicting people and telling people that they need to do this or not do this or believe this way or don't believe this way or, or all these kind of things. We're to pray for people and love on those people and build relationships with those people and meet them right where they are. Amen. That's what God has called us all to do. And so... When we look at this, what we find here is Jesus is we cannot influence the world to know Christ if they cannot see the fruit in our union with him. If we're not together, they're not going to pay any attention to us and take us seriously. And, and, and sad to say, the church is terrible about race, racial issues. We're separated every Sunday. Now, this is different, but in most places, we're separated every Sunday. And it's okay to be that way, but it's not okay. And we're going to talk about some of that today in the place that we have. So the question here that I want to talk about in your notes here is, is the call, I call the principle of the first filter. And, and really what I'm saying here is, in your notes here, is what filter do you see the world through? So when you look at, when you look at people and you walk around in the world, what filter do you see in them? Do you see their skin color first or the gender? I mean, how do we see the world? Do we see the world through our political views? And so I want to talk about that briefly. And so according to the scripture here, we are new creations in Christ, are we not? Old things have passed away. So that's really our first filter. Our first filter is that we are, in fact, new creations in Christ. So when we look at people, we need to look at people through this process. New creation, whether they're human or not, how about that? (laughs) Gender, race, family, nationality, geography. That's the order in which you should look at people. But we look at people, first of all, as, as, as human beings... As new creations, we can see the world and see the souls of men. And if we can look at the world that way, that changes everything. I was talking with one of my brothers in CBMC. He said, I, I really struggle. He said, I struggle in, in reaching black men. I said, you struggle because you see yourself as a white man. Yes, you're white, but you're a new creation first. If you see yourself as a new creation and you walk into a room, then you see people the way that God sees them. So you have to stop looking at yourself as a white man and see yourself first. That doesn't mean you're not white. It doesn't mean you don't have your coat. That doesn't mean that. But everything is filtered through this first. That's my point. 
I'm not not black. I'm still a black man. And, and black culture and black and the life and, I, and, I, and, and, and my heritage and who I am as a person, God's given that to me. But God has given that to me to bring, to bring flavor and bring dimension to the human experience. That's why we need each other to be who we are. We don't need to be around, if you're white, you don't need to start trying to act black around black people. Or black people acting white around white people. Come on. We need to be ourselves. Because by being yourself, it brings dimension to the human experience. You know, when Sandra and I first got married, you know, Sandra is, is very spontaneous and she loves, she just loves to change it up all the time. I'm just the opposite. I like to do everything the same way, same time, every day. And that's how, that's how I am. So, you know, trying to, so some of our conflict was because of our differences. So we didn't say it, but we started trying to become each other. So I never forget Sandra, try to be like me. Everything the same way, same time, you know, just routine and schedule, right? And she started getting depressed. And I saw that happen, so then we didn't say anything. I started being like her. I don't care what time we start. I don't care what time we start. It's just spontaneous. And she's just as happy as she can be. And we're driving down the street. She's so happy in the car. And I scream out, I hate myself. She said, what's wrong? I said, I can't do this anymore. And, and, and so we, we had to learn. No, let's appreciate because we blend and we, we compliment each other. It's the same way in races. God has put something in every race that's rich and amazing in every race. I'm very well connected to our, my Asian brothers. So CBMC has a, a Korean CBMC. And of course, my martial arts background connects me a little bit there. But, you know, we spend a lot of time together. We're, we're getting to know each other. We're spending time. And the Asian culture is so rich. And when you embrace, listen, this is the word. And we'll get to this in just a moment. We don't tolerate we celebrate. Amen? When we celebrate each other, then, then I can integrate some of, those, some of those, uh, those behaviors and concepts into my own life. And, and, and today, I'm a much more full and much more complete individual because of the relationships I've built with Asians and whites and Hispanics and African, all different types of people. And, I, and to me, it's so boring to be around the same people like yourself. You know, and, and yeah, there's conflicts and challenges that come with that. Some of the issues, some cultures are a lot. Of, a lot of cultures are different, so sometimes it can be a point of conflict, or it can be something that helps me to grow and mature me as a Christian. Amen. So that's how I look at life, and, it, and it's it's really it's been I've had a rich experience because of that. The other thing that we see here in the scripture. Uh, we see this Bible verse that shows us very clearly that, uh, that when Christ was raised from the dead, he was ab- above principality and might and dominion. And racism is demonic. Would you not agree? And, and, and But Jesus is above that, right? But guess what else? You and I have also been uh, a part. We're now part of the body of Christ. And according to Scripture, we've been raised and we've been seated with Christ in the heavenly places. So guess what? You and I are above racism. 
Now, that doesn't mean that racism doesn't exist. But it's like gravity and the law of gravity law of lift. So an airplane is in the air. Gravity didn't disappear. But it overpowered it. And so racism doesn't go anywhere. Are you kidding? As long as the devil's around here, there's going to be racism. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to be subject to racism. I've got a power on my life that lifts me above that. So when I deal with, the, and I've dealt with racists, trust me now. I never get when I was in Tulsa, I, as, a, uh, as, a, as a, a technician, I would go in and fix computers. And I went into this company, and of course, it was all white there. And, and I was there because their computer was down. I was there to fix the computer. And so I walked in the door, and they looked at me like, who, who are you? I said, I'm here to repair, fix, you know, repair your computer. And they kind of looked at me, double looked at me, you doing what? Yes, I said, show me your computer. So they went in. But now a whole staff of people followed me into the computer room. And I'm there working on my computer, and they're standing over me. Do you sh- are you sure you know what you're doing? So I said, uh, I need to talk to your manager. I need to talk to who's in charge. And the guy came, and I said, do you want this? I said, how much money are you losing by this computer being down? He, he mentioned quite a bit. I said, you're going to continue to lose this if you don't get these people out so I can do my job. Amen. Hi, I'm Siri. How can I help you? Um... <laughs> You can help me by getting back to where I was before. Anyway, Pastor, I may need your help here. This is, this is, this is talking here, so I, I cast you out in the name of Jesus. <laughs> okay. Is that what happened? <laughs> okay. Well, I don't mind sounding like you, Pastor. Praise the Lord. Now, this is interesting How does God see the human race? He only sees three. There's five races, basically, but he only sees three. Jew, Gentile, Church of God. That's how he sees us. Either you're Jew, you're Gentile, you're not non-Jew, or you're his church. So those are the only three ways that he sees us. Isn't that interesting? That's the way God sees us. And if God sees us that way, maybe we should look at people that way. I'm just, just a thought, just something to think about. So here we can find in this scripture in Ephesians chapter 2 that, uh, and this is a pop, through the blood of Jesus, verse 14, he himself is our peace and made us both one and has broken down in our flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So it tells us that Jesus is the one that's broken these barriers down. And because we're in him, we can absolutely live out and live in unity. Amen. Praise God. A couple other things I'm going to skip here. Uh, let's move to, just make watching my time here. Uh, so when we talk about unity, you've got to start with the desire for unity. That's number one, as we talked about. Let's talk about that, what that looks like, uh, desire for unity. So we're, we're saying that to have a strong desire to want something to change, and that's what we mean by this desire for unity. Uh, and, and we have to be committed to this 100% of our, of our time. We really have to be committed to this process. And that's why I had, again, I had to make a decision. Now, what I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about integration. And I actually skipped a verse here. Let me go back before I get to this here. 28. Okay. All right. So desire starts with knowing the word of God and the revelation that comes from the word. 
about what unity is, why it's necessary, and why it is something to be sought after. So we have to be very, very intentional. We have to really desire this. And Jesus says, of course, you've given me, I've given them, and that, that we may be one as we are one. I and them were perfectly joined together. So it's clearly something that the Lord desires for us, and we need to be obedient to him. Now, what I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about integration. I'm talking about unity. There's a huge difference. And this, is a, this, this part can get a little, it can be a little challenging or sensitive for us as we listen here, but I want you to hear me. When, when I find when a lot of people are talking about unity, what they're really talking about is integration. And integration is when an, an advantaged community gives access to a disadvantaged community. It's generally accomplished through, uh, but toleration, by toleration, should be by toleration instead of celebration. So it's not unusual, honestly, for black people, for instance, for black people to attend a church where the parish is white, to give example. But it's highly unusual for white people to attend a black a church where the pastor's black. Very, you very, very, you seldom ever see that. That's just the way it is. And, and if you've been around, you, you, know, you know it's true. So in the black culture, in black people, and, and I've had this experience myself, that if, I, if I'm around whites or if I have whites in my organization, they, they feel I'm more credible because I have white people a part of it. Oh, you're really going somewhere now. Because of the belief that white is better. And a lot of that's the programming and things that we'll talk about in just a moment. So we're not, that's, but we're not talking about, we're not talking about integration. We're talking about unity. Where there is equality. Where there is a mutual respect. Where you recognize and I recognize that we both need each other. Now, because I've, I, in many cases, I've been the only black in a lot of environments. I've, I've come in environments where I found some white people uncomfortable with seeing a person like me. In other words, if I'm depressed or impoverished or can't hardly speak or little, little to no education or in poverty, they're very comfortable with me. I'm just, I'm just telling you my experience. But because... I am the person I am, I find people, whites in particular, white men in particular, become, some of them, and become intimidated with that and uncomfortable with that. And if I have a room full of powerful black men who are very, very well off and don't need anyone, we just need to be equal, then they become very uncomfortable in those environments. And again, that's because of the, the concept in our culture of integration. That's a part of the program, as I'll show you in just a moment. And so that's not what I mean. I'm not talking about integration. Everybody say unity. unity. I'm talking about there is a difference between that. See? And that's really what we're saying, that we can, we can come together and we can, it's kind of like with my Korean brothers. I had a guy from Seoul, Korea. He was going to Orlando and he wanted to stop by to, to meet me because he'd heard about the things that we were doing with in the Korean community, and, and they were saying, well, we really want you to help us, and we want to learn from you. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm learning from you as well. We can learn from each other. We're equals, and we love each other, and we recognize what God is doing. 
And, and we're brothers, and that's really what God is trying to say. So I want to talk just briefly here about how I overcame. Because of this, I, I have... I was dealing with my earlier part of my life with racial inferiority. I didn't know this because I was raised by a single parent mom. My mother taught me the value of education and, and she was an amazing woman. I'll tell a whole story about her. But the point is, I had no, I had no reason to have any lack of confidence whatsoever. I was a martial artist. I was a first degree black belt, pretty good at it. I had a tremendous amount of confidence, but I do remember, and this is my picture. This is what I looked like when I was 18. I came out of high school. Um, but there was an opportunity to get a scholarship at the University of Cincinnati. I'm originally from Cincinnati. And I walked into there, and I saw a room full of white kids. And I automatically said, in here, there's no sense in me taking this test because these kids are smarter than me. And, and I left. I left. I didn't even try to take the test. And as I was in my car, tears began to stream from my eyes because I'm like, where did I get this from? Why would I think that I'm not as smart as white people? And I had a conversation with my mother and we start talking about it. And, and I want to just take a quick journey through this process. And this may be a little uncomfortable, but it's something that we need to talk about. Because again, we can't say that we want unity and we're not willing to deal with the issues. I was programmed to feel superior, inferior towards white sub subconsciously. I was programmed that way. I didn't know I was. And let me show you why. So some of you may not know about this. Some of you may. But this is a, a, the first future film called The Birth of a Nation. And this was in 1915. It was the year that Booker T. Washington died. And by the way, there's a book... Uh, called Up From Slavery. That's a must-read for everybody. But he was predicting the end of racial inequality that because of so many positive things that were happening at that time. There were black congressmen and senators and black businesses were exploding across the country. It wasn't just there in Tulsa. It was all over the country. And, um, but he died in 1915, and this movie was, was released in 1915. And, it, and at the time, the Ku Klux Klan was, at, was almost dead. And um, this movie um, generated, in our day, about $1.2 billion. Uh, it was very, very successful in that way. Um, and what's interesting about this is uh, this man here, D.W. Griffin, he was the one who actually... Uh, made this movie, and it really depicted African-Americans in a negative light, and it glorified the Ku Klux Klan, and it established a, a narrative that's still been going on today, in that black men are criminals, rapists, and, and, and it basically criminalized, it criminalized black men in particular. And it was right there in this movie in 1915, and that's still going on today. It's still going on today. And, and what was interesting here is the president, President, president Woodrow Wilson, and forgive me, I'm trying to start working through this, um, he actually saw the movie and celebrated the movie. And he said it was the writing history, like, it's like writing history like lightning. And, and he helped to 
put his down the NAACP, tried to ban it, but of course it went all over the country, and it revived the Ku Klux Klan. It started racial riots. There were communities, lynchings. I mean, all kinds of things that happened during that era and that time, and that was when the Black Wall Street and others began to be burned to the ground, and, and black businesses and black leadership were wiped out and killed. And it set our community back, because if you take out the leaders, you take out the leaders and you take out education and economics, I don't care what race you are, you're going to go down. And so a lot of what we've seen over these years is because of those kinds of things that have been done over and over and over and over again, and that was established back then. The other thing that they did is they established a narrative, and this is where I want to talk about here, this next picture here. You've heard the term Jim Crow. So if you've never heard the song Jim Crow, you can see that on, online. And this is where it started back in the 1820s, but it gained prominence during this era. And again, it depicted black people as racially inferior uh, and so forth. And here's some other very disturbing, and these are disturbing, and I know these are disturbing for you, and just, you know, bear with me. It's going to, I've got something at the end. It's going to work out. All right, okay. But this is a picture de de depicting black women. Um, and this is a, I'll push the button. And this is a terrible picture. But those of you, if you've been watching tennis, there was a lady that did the same thing with Sabrina Williams and depicted her in this way. And so these images, you see these images, and I know they're not, it's hard to look at these images. Um, I was sharing this with someone, a black person, and they would just begin to cry as they saw this. And these, again, these are images, the lips, and, and just uh, a very difficult thing to look at. And so somebody would say, well, you know what? That was so long ago. That's not going on today. Well, let me show you something really quick. In Brown v. Board of Education, the famous case that desegregated schools in the 1950s, Dr. Kenneth Clark conducted a doll test with black children. He asked them to choose between a black doll and a white doll. In most instances, the majority of the children preferred the white doll. I decided to reconduct this test, as Dr. Clark did, to see how we've progressed since then. Can you show me the doll that you liked best or that you'd like to play with? Show me the doll that is the nice doll. And why is that the nice doll? She's white. And can you show me the doll that looks bad? Okay. And can you give... And why does that look bad? Because it's black. And why do you think that's a nice doll? Because she's white. And can you give me the doll that looks like you? So that's racial inferiority, would you agree? Well, say, so what I was sharing with my CBMC brothers, I was sharing some of this, I'm going to show you one more quick video. If you can be racially inferior through programming, is it possible that you can have traits of racial superiority? So let's watch this video here. So show me the smart child. 
Okay, why is she the smart child? Because she was thinking. Okay. Show me the mean child. Okay, why is she the mean child? Because she's way darker. Okay. Show me the good child. Why is she the good child? Because I think she looks like me. Okay. Show me the bad child. Why is she the bad child? Because she's a lot darker. Show me the ugly child. Why is she the ugly child? Because she's like, um, a lot darker. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to play that. She was, Mama was having a really hard time with that. She's not exposed. And so I dealt with that. So that's, that's still alive and well. That's, those, those are recent videos. Those are, that's not like 50 years ago. I was dealing with this myself. That's what I point out. I was, and the only thing that changed me is Romans 12. When I began to go through the word of God and see who I was in Christ, I began to be transformed by that. And that's why I believe that we have the answer. But we got to start with ourselves, right? And, and, and I didn't know that I, I, I had inferiority. I didn't know I felt inferior. But as I began to go through the word of God, and the other thing too is because of that, you start, as you do history and study, you can become angry and, and, and all those kind of issues, but the love of God has been shared abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And we have the ability to do something to change the world that we live in. And I, I'm not going to try to finish this up because there's a lot here, but I'm really out of time. I, I want to just, I just want to finish up. I'm going to just kind of move forward here. I want to finish up with, I think something that's very, very important. And that is, some of you have heard of William Wilberforce. The reason why I like this particular story, and if you haven't, there's a book called Amazing Grace that's an excellent read. Um, but he was a man that was in England and in Britain and all of that, and he was a part of the parliament. He was actually doing very well for himself. Uh, at 20, he was involved in politics at that level. Um, but he was, he felt he wasn't really making a difference. And he was beginning to feel miserable and depressed and even considered suicide. And he came to Jesus. And when Jesus came in his heart, he immediately thought, well, I need to go into the seminary and be a minister. And the man, the last name is Newton, that wrote Amazing Grace, he said, you don't need to go into the seminary. You need to allow God to use you right where you are so you can make a change. And so he did. And God used this man, this Christian man, this white man, he was a major influence in the ending of the slave trade in that part of the world. Not only that, all the things when you talk about you know, you know, philanthropic efforts around the world, he helped to establish and start many organizations and foundations. And that started a wave of that culture impacting the culture. And because, in fact, he was also one of the founders of the abolitionist movement, which eventually affected America. And when slavery was over in 1833, 
in that area, 30 years later, 35 years or so later, slavery was in here, right here in America. It's because of this one man who received Jesus and who allowed Jesus to operate in his life and impact the culture that he was in. Can we give God praise for that? I mean, that's amazing. We have the opportunity to change and impact the culture around us. We've got to start with us. Looking at the facts, looking at the issues, working through issues, and I didn't have time to go into this, but there's a lot more here, but I just run out of time. But we can see transformation take place. There's one last video I want to show you, and, and it really speaks to the fact of where we are today and the responsibility we can take. So I want to end with this, and then I'll have final thoughts here. Hey, line up! Line up! Everybody line up! We're about to race! Everybody line up! Shoulder to shoulder! Take off your backpacks! Basketball, line up! We're about to race! Hey, we are, we are racing for a $100 bill. The winner of this race will take this. $100 bill. Before I say go, I'm going to make a couple statements. If those statements apply to you, I want you to take two steps forward. If those statements don't apply to you, I want you to stay right where you're at. Take two steps forward if both of your parents are still married. Take two steps forward if you grew up with a father figure in the home. Take two steps forward if you had access to a private education. Take two steps forward if you had access to a free tutor growing up. Take two steps forward if you've never had to worry about your cell phone being shut off. Take two steps forward if you've never had to help mom or dad with the bills. Take two steps forward if it wasn't because of your athletic ability, you don't have to pay for college. Take two steps forward if you never wondered where your next meal was going to come from. I want you guys up here in the front just to turn around and look. Every statement I've made has nothing to do with anything any of you have done. Has nothing to do with decisions you've made. Everything I've said has nothing to do with what you've done. We all know these people up here have a better opportunity to win this hundred dollars. Does that mean these people back here can't race? No. We would be foolish to not realize we've been given more opportunity. We don't want to recognize that we've been given a head start. But the reality is we have. Now, there's no excuse. They still got to run their race. You still got to run your race. But whoever wins this hundred dollars, I think it'd be extremely foolish of you not to utilize that and learn more about somebody else's story. Because the reality is, if this was a fair race and everybody was back on that line, I guarantee you some of these black dudes would smoke all of you. 
And it's only because you have this big of a head start that you're possibly going to win this race called life. That is a picture of life, ladies and gentlemen. Nothing you've done has put you in the lead that you're in right now. When I say go, on your mark, get set, go. If you didn't learn anything from this activity, you're a fool. The love of God dwells in us. That's why we minister to people when we have the power to change things. It doesn't matter what race, what group of people. We have the love of God that's been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And therefore, we have the ability to bring solutions to the issues that are around us. We are here to shape culture. We're not here to pursue happiness. That is not the calling of the Christian. I know that's American, but what's our first filter? Nowhere in the Bible are we commanded to pursue happiness. And when you pursue happiness, you forget about everybody else. We are here to seek first the kingdom of God. And God wants every man to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Not just the truth about Jesus and his love, but the truth about everything. We have the Holy Spirit of truth. and We can walk into an environment and speak truth, and bring truth, and bring change, and bring transformation. Know who you are, and what you have, and your very presence, just like what I'm seeing here this morning, and the love, your very presence can shape things. I've come into many, around many people that were racist, that changed because of me, because I loved them through their racism. Amen? Amen. And because I've reached a certain place in my life, I have the responsibility to go back and help any community that is not where I am. And if I don't do that, that's being irresponsible. So God bless you. God bless you for this opportunity. And I believe that the Lord is, is doing a healing in all of us today. And I believe the Lord's going to use us. Remember, if one man could literally change the entire culture of the slave world, one person we got a lot more than one here Amen. and I want to thank your pastor because I, you know to have a man like him to see the need and to celebrate Black History Month and then to bring in a black man to talk about black issues I've seen a lot of white people trying to talk about black issues I'm like you don't know what you're talking about I love you but you need to ask somebody Amen. But your pastor loves and respects me. I love and respect him. And I'm telling you, it shouldn't be unusual, but he is very unusual. But because of him and others, this will become the norm. We need to normalize. Come on now. Normalize God's love. 
Father, thank you today for this opportunity. I'm so blessed to be here. I'm so blessed. And this ministers to my heart, Father. To be here and to share out of my heart something that's so important and so dear to me and to have a brother like Pastor Bruce and Pastor Sheila, brother and sister, Lord, who loves you. I'm so blessed. And I pray, Lord, that these words will encourage. And I know there's parts of it might have been difficult for some of us. But, Lord, I just thank you that you'll use this to bring healing, that you'll renew our minds to what you've called us to do and to be. We're your people, and we have the ability to bring transformation. We are marketplace ambassadors. And we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Lord, we receive that. We walk in that. We rise to the challenge of that. And through your wisdom, we'll get better each day, day by day. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Praise God. Thanks for listening to the Lifeway Church Podcast. If you'd like to join us in reaching others by partnering with us today, you can give online by visiting us on our website at lifeway.church forward slash give. Thanks for listening to the Lifeway Church Podcast and remember to subscribe to enjoy more messages like this.